Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are a full preview of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, including bracketology, plus the latest news in the MLB now that the lockout has finally ended, and Reactions to the unretirement of Tom Brady. It's episode 65 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. everybody here on thursday march 17th 2022 episode number 65 coming at you of let me speak thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast i want to wish everyone out there a happy saint patrick's day we are recording on the day of the holiday hope everyone is being safe and partying responsibly as part-time irish people uh not only that but it's been Absolutely. It's just been a lot of good things going on, at least in my area and in the Swampscott, Massachusetts area. We got daylight savings time, which means the sun's out for a lot longer. I got to, as I mentioned last week, I was able to go to the Celtics game and be able to watch the Jersey retirement of Kevin Garnett, which we'll talk about during our Let's Get Local segment. And then just the sports world is just absolute madness right now. And there's so much that you can only fit and the slotted time frame that we got. So this is going to be, you know, multiple weeks of a lot of things. So for those that are wondering, where are these kind of topics? You know, don't worry, we will get to them in the next couple of weeks. And of course, this time you can't talk about it without March Madness. The tournament starts today. We got games just about to tip off as we speak. It's going to be a very exciting time. It's always a great, exciting time no matter if you're a sports fan or not, because you get to fill out one of these March Madness brackets. And it's always a fun, you don't have to be a total expert on this, but you just get to fill it out and have a ton of fun. And I thought, what a great way to get this show started by doing a live bracket fill out right now. Now, just to keep in mind, I've already filled out a bracket online. So this will be bracket number, I think number three coming up. And the games have not started. I am completely oblivious to any results going on right now. So just to give the the discretion to everyone there is that this bracket that gets filled out is in live time. I don't know any of the scores. I don't know any of the games that are going on right now. It's before the games start when I fill this out. And ultimately, I'm just going to give you live reactions of what I think is going to happen. Because really... You have to, at least in my eyes, you got to fill out a few of them uh, before you can get really set in on what you really think is going to happen because every bracket is going to be different. I know at least for mine. So let's get it started. And there's just a lot of parody going on that I don't even know if I can pick the same, you know, Final Four or Elite Eight, stuff like that. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm just filling this out in live time, taking a quick look. Uh, We start in the West region, Gonzaga, Georgia State. I think that one's easy. Give me the Zags. 
This is going to be a real interesting uh, challenge for them this March Madness. You know, with so many parity going on, you'd think Gonzaga might be the only consistent team out there, but can they carry it for the rest of the tournament? We'll find out. They'll play the winner of the 8-9 Boise State and Memphis. I mean, it's hard to go against uh, Penny Hardaway with uh, what that matchup's been going on. I know there's been a lot of, you know, back and forth with the Tigers right now, but I still, I think I do like Memphis to come out of this one against Boise State. Just, just the way that team looks, they have the potential, at least, you know, all the talk with Penny Hardaway and that squad. We then go to UConn and New Mexico State. This is a 5 versus 12 matchup. This one is a little hard because obviously you want to pick a couple of 12s over 5s or 13s over 4s. I, I don't know if I can do that with New Mexico State. I know they got the better record just looking at it right here. And I know in uh, the first bracket I uh, put out, I had New Mexico State over UConn. And you know what? I think I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go New Mexico State. It's going to be a real interesting upset. You know, you know, there's going to be upsets out there. It's just a matter of picking the right one. We then go to Arkansas and Vermont. Vermont, obviously a New England school. Of course, uh, the school of former guest Alexander Schaefer. Shout out Pookie Head. I just don't think Vermont has the firepower. You know, Arkansas is in the uh, in the more difficult conference I think they are able to pull out the victory over uh, Vermont. But, you know, props to Vermont for even getting here in back-to-back years. As then we go to Alabama versus this, it says right now, Rutgers-Notre Dame. We know earlier on Notre Dame in an incredible game in double overtime was able to beat Rutgers. Can they carry that momentum is the question, or did they give it all on the court? I feel like there's some kind of, exhaustion there i know they play they won't play until tomorrow but i just got a feeling alabama is gonna have the energy and all that all that energy spent from the irish was on that game against Rutgers. so i think i'll go with the crimson tide on that one and continue success for the sec here's another one texas tech montana state this is a three verse 14 I know Tech was uh, struggling a little bit near the end of the Big 12 season in the conference. I still like them, though. I think I'll like them over uh, Montana State. Then we go to Michigan State and Davidson. Michigan State is kind of my sleeper in this one. I know Davidson is a very popular team to uh, pick for an upset, but I, I, I got to watch Tom Izzo and his squad a little bit. I think they're a good defending team. And you see it in a March Madness is that defense is going to take you a long way. That's why I think I am going to go Michigan State to beat Davidson. And then two versus 15, Duke and uh, CSU Fullerton. Pretty easy right there, Duke. I know Duke is a lot of uh, national title picks. Uh, We'll see how far they go in this bracket. And obviously with the last season of Coach K, you'd want to give them a a championship. You never know how far they will be able to go. As then we'll go to the East region. We start with Baylor and Norfolk State. I know Baylor struggled a little bit for most of the year. They got themselves back uh, in the Big 12 tournament. I think this this one's an easy one. Going Baylor over the 16. I still can't believe a 16 beat number one only a few short years ago to Virginia uh, with UMBC. Props to them. 
North Carolina Marquette. This is a tricky one, a tricky eight versus nine. Cause of course you got the championship history of the Tar Heels, but Marquette might be a popular pick. I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go UNC. I'm going to give North Carolina the benefit of the doubt on this one. Then we go to St. Mary's and versus the other playing game between Wyoming and Indiana. Indiana was the winner. I think, you know, this is going to be my first upset. I'm going to go Indiana over Wyoming. Of course, you got a team playing in the Big Ten. I think, again, that playing game kind of carries the momentum over St. Mary's. That'll be my first big upset, 12 over the five uh, in St. Mary's. And plus, St. Mary's is kind of in the in a lower conference. I know they're in the same conference as Gonzaga. They beat Gonzaga. I just don't know. This this feels like an upset to me. It feels like an upset. Now we go UCLA and Akron. I think UCLA, you got to remember, they got it all the way to the final four last year. I do think they win this game. I can't be certain if they are going to repeat that success, but we'll see. I like UCLA in this one. Texas, Virginia Tech. I mean, another Big 12 school uh, taking on the Hokies. This one, this one's a, a tricky one for me. Obviously, again, trying to trying to predict the upset. I, I think I think I'm gonna go. T- uh, <laughs> this is tricky. This this is the the downside of doing this in a live time. You know, you would have thought I would have had a decision ready, but I didn't. So I think I am gonna go with Virginia Tech. I think I'm gonna pick the eleven over the six as then they will play the winner of Purdue and Yale. I think this one's a pretty easy one. I'm going to go Purdue. Purdue, I remember in uh, one of my first brackets, did go a long way. We'll see if they can uh, make it a far way in this one. Murray State and San Francisco. I'm going to be honest, not I don't have a lot of expertise on most of these teams, especially these two right here. I'm just looking at Murray State. They were 30-2. and two. Obviously, it was a school of John Morant. So we know they have talent. So I'm going Murray State. I think Murray State's going to pull off the victory over San Fran. And then Kentucky and St. Peter's. I think this one's easy. UK, uh, Kentucky, you know, they always have a great team. I know they faltered a little bit in uh, past years, but Coach Calipari knows how to get his team tournament ready. So that's the West and the East. Let's go to the South. These games are going to take place in San Diego. Got Arizona and Wright State. It was Wright State or Bryant. Uh, kind of would have liked to see Bryant, another New England school, but uh, it's Wright State. I think regardless, even if uh, they did make it, they're no match for Arizona. I will pick the Wildcats to go for that one. Seton Hall and TCU. I think I'm gonna go TCU here. I like the Big Twelve schools uh, to really, you know, just bring the physicality in some of these games. And I don't know if teams like Seton Hall are ready for that, you know, banging bodies down low kind of style of play. Houston and UBA, I think I'm going to go Houston on this one. I just, I, UBA, UAB, again, not a lot of knowledge on that school. And I know it says here they went 27 and 7, but Houston went 29 and 5 in a harder conference. So I'll take uh, Houston on that one. Illinois and Chattanooga. It's funny, I haven't picked a lot of upsets yet. I feel like this is going to be the time for it. I don't, think it's going to happen in this one though i like illinois to come away with the victory on this one colorado state and michigan 
This one, this one's tricky because last a couple of weeks ago we mentioned uh, the story with Jawan Howard, how he uh, hit the coach. He got suspended for the regular season, and then they faltered in the tournament when he did come back. I just don't think this team has the ability to go the far away. So I am going Colorado State on this one. I just think you know it's it's kind of a lost year right now for the Wolverines with all the chaos that Jawan Howard had brought near the end of the regular season. Tennessee and Longwood. I think this one's easy. I'm going Tennessee. I got to watch them uh, during the SEC tournament, got all the way to the championship game. I like what they did. I like their style of play, obviously winning that tournament. I like, uh, I think they can go a long way, which is kind of a spoiler for uh, some games upcoming. Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago. This one, this one kind of caught my eye when I first saw it because Loyola, Chicago, of course, if you remember with uh, Sister Jean, they got all the way to the final four. And then they did it again a few years ago. So I think with a championship experience, that's going to be that's going to be my big upset. Loyola, Chicago. They always show up for these big kinds of games. And plus, they got the better record than Ohio State. I'll take them to go over the Buckeyes. And then Villanova and Delaware. I will go with Villanova on that one to end the South. As then we get ready for the Midwest region. Kansas, Texas Southern. I think I'm gonna go KU here. Pretty easy one. San Diego State and Creighton. This one's tricky, but I think I'm gonna go Creighton. I like a, I like a good offensive team. Plus the West Coast doesn't have the best set of teams. I I don't think San Diego State will be able to do it. Iowa and Richmond. Now I got to watch Iowa in the uh, championship game for the uh, the Big Twelve. Big Ten, excuse me, and uh, they looked really good. So I think Iowa is going to be able to pull off the victory on this one. Providence and South Dakota State. Now, this one, this one I've been fighting with a lot because, of course, I've got some great connections to Providence. Uh, Emmy Provost, if you're watching, Aaron Provost, if you're watching, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for the Friars. But then you've got this team. A lot of people are saying South Dakota State can pull off the upset the way, you know, their kind of style of play. This one's a tricky one. I don't want to make people upset, so I'm going to go Providence on this one. I'll pick the Friars to get out of that one. But I would not be surprised if there was any kind of upset. Providence is just a really tough team. And plus, they're playing in Buffalo. They're really close. So area goes to uh, goes to Providence on that one. LSU and Iowa State. I think I like Iowa State in this one. I just think, again, big time school getting a lot uh, overlooked right now. I, I like I like the Cyclones. I like the Cyclones in this one. Wisconsin and Colgate. I'll take Wisconsin on that one. USC and Miami. I think I'll go USC. And then Auburn and Jacksonville State will go Auburn on this one. So that's the first round. Let's go to uh, the see who's getting into the Sweet 16. Back to the West Zags and Memphis. I think I'll go Gonzaga on that one. I just like I talked about it last week. I like their style of play with Chad Holmgren and uh, Drew Timmy in that team. New Mexico State and Arkansas. I think I'm going to go Arkansas on this one. We go Alabama, Texas Tech. 
Uh, this, this is a tricky one. I think, you know, I believe Avery Johnson is still the coach there for the uh, Crimson Tide. I'm not 100% sure, but I like Texas Tech. I think they're going to pull off the victory there. Michigan State and Duke. I'm going to go with the upset. I am going Michigan State. Again, I said it. I like their defense. I like the way they defend the three. And plus, who knows if the moment might be too big for uh, all these kids to uh, win it for Coach K. Well, we'll see what goes on there. Baylor and North Carolina. I think this is this is going to be my first big upset. I'm going to go North Carolina to pull off the victory over Baylor. I just think I just think you know Baylor's been hurting all year long. I know they're coming along at the right time, but I just think this is a different team from uh, the national championship team a year ago. I just really think so. Indiana UCLA. You know, I I want, you know, a lower seeded team to go far, but I think UCLA, just looking at the record real quick, I I like UCLA. I think they will pull the victory in this one. Virginia Tech and Purdue, I like Purdue in this one. I like them getting the victory. Uh, Murray State and Kentucky, I'm going to go Kentucky. Give me UK on that one. Going back to the South, Arizona, TCU. I like the Wildcats again to pull this one out. You know, they, I, I think they can go a long way. I think Arizona has a chance to, to really go a long way. Houston and Illinois, uh, I'm going to take, I think, Houston. I like Houston in this one. Pull off a big victory. Colorado State, Tennessee. I'll go Tennessee. I like the way they played. Loyola, Chicago, Villanova. I think I, I'm going to ride the train. I'm going to go Loyola. Loyola, Chicago. I know Villanova, you know, has championship history, but I just don't think it's happening this year for, for Jay Wright. I really don't think so. Uh, Kansas and Creighton. I think I'm going to go Kansas on this one. Iowa Providence again. What's funny about this one is I've got connections with both school. I mentioned Providence, but then Iowa, uh, my uncle's good friends with uh, head football coach, Kirk Ferentz. I, I like Iowa's style of play. Sorry, uh, Emmy and Aaron, but I like the Hawkeyes in this one to go a long way. We go Iowa state, Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin's always a good school. Always has a good run. Give me the Badgers on that one. USC and Auburn, I think Auburn is going to pull this one out. I think so. And then we go to the Sweet 16. I'll take Gonzaga over Arkansas on that one. These these aren't going to be easy games for uh, the Bulldogs. Absolutely not. Gonzaga are going to have a test. Texas Tech, Michigan State. You know, I, I think Michigan State. I I know Tom Izzo's got the experience and he's going to, he's going to be able to coach that team properly. So I'll take the Spartans to go with that one. UNC UCLA. As much as I want to go North Carolina, I am going to go UCLA. There's, there's kind of like an unproven kind of thing there. So I'll take UCLA on that one. Purdue and Kentucky. I think I'm going to go Purdue on this one. I like, uh, I like what I saw in the tournament from them. They were a number one team at one point. I like Purdue in that one. I think I'll pick Arizona, the other number one, to get past Houston. And then I think this is where the Cinderella run ends for Loyola. I will take Tennessee. 
this one's going to be, this one might shock you. I think Iowa over Kansas is going to be a very popular one. And then Wisconsin, Auburn, I think I will go Auburn on this one. So then we go elite eight. I'll pick Gonzaga again. You know, Gonzaga was my, I think they were my title pick last year. It was either that or some other team, Gonzaga or Baylor. Um, but I think Gonzaga gets into the final four. I think Purdue gets into the final four. This one's a good one. Arizona and Tennessee. I think I'm going to go Arizona on that one. And then Iowa Auburn. I think, you know, I'm, I'm smelling an upset and I'm going to go Iowa. I think the Hawkeyes get themselves into the final four. So we got a number one, a number three, a number five and a number one right now in the final four, at least in my prediction. I think between Arizona and Iowa, I'll take the Wildcats on this one. And then between Gonzaga and Purdue, I like Gonzaga to set up a Bulldogs Wildcats final four or a national championship. Excuse me. These are the, uh, the top two teams in the AP pool, Gonzaga, number one, Arizona, number two, I think, you know what? I think this is the Bulldogs year. I'm going Zags for the national championship to just get a good look. If you're watching us on YouTube, the bracket is all filled out here. We got the Gonzaga Bulldogs as the national champions. But, you know, that's the beauty of March Madness is that literally there's madness in the air, which means anything and everything can happen. things take precedent over March Madness or at least come close to it but the MLB has been making a lot of noise obviously you know things were a little bit delayed all this free agency madness would have happened if there wasn't a lockout but at least finally thank goodness we get a baseball season we're going to get a full 162 the owners and the players got a deal done late Thursday after we were done recording so for those that had some holes uh, during the episode i know i had mentioned you know why has a lockout still going on they got it done after we had finished uh the episode so i'm just glad it got it done they finally got their heads out of their asses and finally said you know what let's play baseball they finally came to a medium on a few things and it's about damn time it's about damn time that the lockout ended these owners and players finally came to terms and we're gonna get ourselves a baseball season but with the lockout, you're looking at basically three months all jammed into one. You still got free agency plus you've got spring training just getting underway for a few teams. And I just want to talk about a few deals and a few teams uh, during this segment that really caught my eye. And I think the biggest one obviously happened uh, last night, or I should say two of them happened last night. The Dodgers loading up yet again. They signed Freddie Freeman, six years, $162 million. Now, I'll talk about Atlanta in a little bit, but to see them lose Freddie Freeman was absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking to me. And to see how the Dodgers have been able to scoop up all these players. I mean, look at the lineup that they've got right now. Will Smith is your catcher. Then 
You've got Freeman, uh, both Turners, Justin and Trey, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, uh, Max Muncy. You know, lineup from one to nine is amazing. Absolutely unreal. And you, I mean, I would say they're the favorites right now, but then again, they were the favorites last year and they got knocked out of the playoffs. Obviously they had to uh, play the Giants uh, and then get into the wild card game. I, I still like the Dodgers in the NL, just, just the way they've continued to uh, load it up, you know, how, how they're even in the mix every single time to build these kind of super teams is just unreal. Absolutely unreal to see the Dodgers do that. And then the deal that happened before that was Chris Bryant staying in the NL West and uh, signing with the Colorado Rockies. Now, again, another deal that kind of surprised me because it's not a needle mover for me. I don't think Chris Bryant really moves the needle because if you remember, the Rockies had a great third baseman for many, many years in the name of Nolan Arenado, and they didn't really do much with him at third base so much so that they got rid of him instead of, you know, signing or keeping him to that really big contract. So I don't think it's really a needle mover for Colorado unless, you know, there's some kind of a revolution, you know, early on in the year, if they start playing really, really well, I don't see the Rockies really doing much, but Hey, they got a superstar. They were able to grab Chris Bryant. So props to them for that. But then earlier on in free agency, I mean, the story I think has been the Oakland athletics, basically having a fire sale uh, since the lockout ended. And I'm really wondering, you know, why are they giving up all these pieces? They were only, you know, it took until maybe the last week or two for them to be eliminated from wildcard contention. So they had all the pieces, but if they're looking for a reset, I don't know if I would have done it. You know, maybe they, maybe they look at, um, all these other teams loading up like the blue Jays and the Yankees and the white Sox, And they just don't think they can contend, you know, not hundred percent sure what's going on there, but I don't know if they've lost uh, some money during the lockout, but they have just been trading all of their best players. I mean, you got your ACE Chris Bassett going to the Mets, you know, last year he went 12 and four with a three, one, five ERA. And New York has become the Yankees right now in terms of spending for success. They don't give a crap about this luxury tax, anything like that. And on paper, the Mets would be the best team in baseball, but it's hard to say if it's true. You know, I thought they would have done it if they picked up Javi Baez, but clearly they didn't do that. But hey, they picked up Max Scherzer to go with Jacob deGrom. We'll, uh, we'll see if the Mets are able to do that. But back to the athletics, they gave up uh, Matt Olson, traded uh, to the Braves, as I mentioned. I would say even though the Braves did lose Freeman, Olson is a good consolation. He's had some great numbers. And when you're reading the story about, you know, why they let Freddie Freeman go, the contract, you know, if you have a small contract for a 27-year-old versus a big contract for a 32-year-old, you know, Atlanta just didn't want to commit all the years for a guy in uh, his thirties, but Hey, I mean, just the counterpoint to Atlanta is you don't win that world series without Freddie Freeman in your clubhouse, in your dugout. I don't care if he falters off any kind of numbers. That's a clubhouse leader that you'd want to keep in there. So I think the Braves are going to be far off from a world series repeat without Freddie Freeman in that clubhouse. So I, I don't know where Atlanta is going to go. I mean, they re-signed Rosario. They're going to get Acuna back, hopefully, you know, later on in the year off of that uh, torn ACL. 
but I don't, I don't see Atlanta being uh, big contenders once again. I think, you know, maybe even not win the division, which we'll get into shortly. But again, one more time to the Athletics. They do give up. Then Matt Chapman, he's going to the Blue Jays. Now, just look at Toronto really quickly right now. That, inf- uh, that infield, you've got Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Bobachet, and Matt Chapman, okay? And then you've got, in the outfield, you've got George Springer, Randall Gritchick, and uh, Lourdes Gurriel uh, Jr. I mean, this is a Toronto team that really, all they had to do was just improve the rotation. That's all they had to do, was get the rotation. And they did that with signing Yusei Kikuchi, they grabbed Kevin Gosman, they re-signed Jose Barrios, and they still have Hunjin Ryu. The pitching already got better. They were already going to be a contender. Now to put in a great third baseman like Matt Chapman with the numbers and the defense that he kind of has. Toronto, to me, on paper right now, is the top team in the American League. And I think it would be a huge disappointment if they missed the playoffs. I mean, they missed the playoffs last year with all the pieces they had. But I, I don't see it. I, I don't see Toronto missing the playoffs this time, especially with everything they've got right now. But sticking in the AL East, I want to talk about the Yankees really quick because the Yankees are normally a team that goes out and spends all this kind of money. But they, they've been kind of quiet in terms of their moves. Obviously, they had a big trade in grabbing Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kinner-Falefa. Uh, they got them from Minnesota. And they gave up Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. Now, the automatic improvement is that Gary Sanchez is no longer your catcher. And he might be maybe the worst defensive catcher uh, in the majors right now. I don't know how many games might have been won or might have been lost with uh, him behind the plate. I know his bat is definitely something that the Yankees are going to miss. But they already have, you know, you've got Donaldson at third base, who's a great uh, defensive third baseman, obviously. And plus you can plug him in as a DH as well from time to time. And then you've got, you know, you've still got your, uh, you re-signed Anthony Rizzo. He's back there at first base. Uh, Judge, I know his COVID stance and uh, hearing about, you know, New York and Canada with vaccination status, it might be hard to say, but then you've got Stanton. You still got a ton of weapons, but pitching remains the question mark uh, for me, for the Yankees. I, I don't think I can put them as uh, you know, the top team in the American league, just because their pitching still remains the question outside of Garrett Cole. Is anyone really going to, is that rotation going to be able to back up Cole um, the, w- the way they weren't able to at the end of the uh, regular season? You saw it came to bite them in the butt in the wildcard game against the Red Sox was just poor, poor pitching. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the Yankees if they can uh, continue uh, that kind of sustain near the top of the AL East or the American League for that matter. But lastly, I want to talk about two teams that no one's really paying attention for. I want people to look out for the Phillies and the Mariners. You got to keep in mind, these two teams improved after just missing the playoffs. They were eliminated within like the last week or so. And look at what these two teams, Philly, they got Kyle Schwarber, Jerry's Familia, and Brad Hand. You got already a strong lineup consisting of Bryce Harper and Gene Segura. You add Kyle Schwarber to that mix uh, in the designated hitter spot. Then you improve your bullpen to go along with that strong lineup. I think right now, the Phillies might be the favorite in that NL East. 
I, I really do. I think just the back half of what they did uh, at the end of the regular season last year, the way Bryce Harper came along during the second half of the year, I think they are going to be a team to be reckoned with. So look out for the Phillies. And then Seattle in the American League, you know, they haven't made the playoffs in over 20 years. And now that the uh, new CBA has an extra team from both leagues, which uh, goes from 10 to 12, uh, if it were to end, Seattle probably would have been one of those last two teams, maybe uh, either them or Toronto. But look at what Seattle did. They got Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez from the Reds. Um, and you've got, you know, now your lineup, it can be consistent for a full 162 games. You bring along the AL Cy Young winner from last year and Robbie Ray. I think the Seattle team is going to make some noise. I think they find themselves back into the playoffs. I know people were wondering, why are they, you know, selling all their pieces last year? Because they made a run for the wild card. And I, I think they can get back there. I think they can get into the postseason this year. I think the drought comes to an end. But we'll talk about that when we get into, you know, predictions for when the regular season of the MLB gets closer and closer. But it's great that the MLB finally ended their lockout because this is the kind of action and intensity that baseball fans were missing. So as I said, the news in the sports landscape has been monumental from the MLB coming back to March Madness to the NFL free agency, the NBA, the NHL. There's so much going on that we've got to try and pack in as much as we can. So it's only fitting that we once again segue to our segment with a bunch of new topics in Quick Hits. Now, the big story that began the week was this past Sunday night, uh, even during the announcement of March Madness Bracketology, was Tom Brady's back. The retirement only lasts two months, 41 days, and he'll be back for his 23rd season with Tampa Bay. He officially announced it on Twitter. Now, I will be the first one to admit that I was surprised, and I definitely thought that when he said he was retired, he was going to retire. That's what I thought. But... Looking back at it now, looking at, you know, his announcement, you know, what he said, you know, he never mentioned the word retired. He never brought up the Patriots um, during his retirement announcement. There was something there was something off just about the the statement when he initially retired. And just thinking about it now, it probably was like a leverage thing for Tampa. You know, he, he thought, you know. He wanted to get sort of his way, wanted to talk things out. Just, I don't know. There was some, there was something off about the retirement when he initially retired. He put out a statement and stuff like that. I mean, it, it just felt, it felt weird that he would go out the way he did at 44. But hey, he's going to be starting his 23rd year at age 45. So if Tom Brady can continue the numbers he's had at age 45, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is going to be a fun NFL season. But speaking of the NFL, of course, we've seen teams go nuts during this first days of free agency. I mean, just looking at all the moves that have been made. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky goes from a Buffalo backup to a Pittsburgh starter. I think, you know, I think uh, Pittsburgh can stay afloat 
And I think Trubisky, if, you know, he has a good year, you know, because I think he was held down by the coaching and Matt Nagy in Chicago. Then he got groomed a little bit by a great coaching staff uh, with the Bills. And now he's in Pittsburgh with another great coaching staff and Mike Tomlin. I think Trubisky is going to be able to bounce back. And I think Pittsburgh, you know, maybe they don't go right into irrelevancy, but, you know, they stay afloat. I think they get a, a plus 500 record in that one. But speaking of the Bills, Von Miller, maybe the best defender in free agency is going to the Bills. I mean, come on. The top defense in the NFL statistically just got even greater when you've got Von Miller there coming off the edge. That, to me, puts the Bills in the favorite uh, in the AFC. I think they leapfrog the Chiefs. They leapfrog the Bengals. I think they are the top team right now. But the AFC is getting tighter and tighter, even in the West. You know, look at what the Raiders have been doing. They brought in Chandler Jones to pair with Max Crosby. Josh McDaniels is doing some great uh, recruiting there in his first weeks uh, with Vegas. You've got the Chargers improving their defense with uh, the trade of Khalil Mack and then signing J.C. Jackson. That division's getting tough. And even Jacksonville, look at the Jaguars. J- Say Jones, Christian Kirk, Brandon Scherf, they're getting some names in free agency. So this is only the first couple of days of free agency. Imagine before we get to the draft, how many more incredible names are going to come off the big board. <laughs> To the NBA we go, and it's hard to pick one thing that's going on, but there have just been some amazing scoring performances we saw. Uh, a previous Sunday, two weeks ago, Jason Tatum at 54. This week, we had, we saw Carl Anthony Towns and Kyrie Irving score 60 in consecutive days. We saw Steph Curry score 47 in Draymond Green's return. And this is the part of the NBA season that gets really, really fun. A race to the postseason. There is nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. And just really briefly, I want to talk about those 60-point games. I mean, the big cat, Carl Anthony Towns, is just a guy who's so easy to get behind. His story with uh, losing his parents and the struggle they had with COVID. Uh, and to see the Timberwolves improve the way they have. Uh, right now in seventh spot, getting themselves into the playoffs. Him and Anthony Edwards have been great for Minnesota. And then Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving scoring 60, including 41 in the first half alone. I mean, if we saw this Brooklyn team, this Brooklyn team for a full 82 games, then, and a full postseason run, then they'd be championship contenders. So it's hard to sleep on the nets, but until Kyrie becomes a full-time player, you can't really bank on them just yet. They can make a run, and they can really uh, alter some things from the playing game. And I know they had a tough luck game uh, against the Dallas Mavericks with Spencer Dinwiddie, by the way, back-to-back game winners. Oh, boy. Nothing like the NBA. Absolutely nothing like it. Watch out for the Nets if they continue this role. Then you got the NHL trade deadline coming up this Monday. We haven't really talked about that a lot, but just a couple of names that might be available. Zidane Ochara, Claude Giroux, Mark Giordano, Jake DeBrus, just to name a few. And honestly, I don't know how much action there's really going to be because I think there are a lot more sellers in the Eastern Conference than there are in the Western Conference. You look at those standings right now. Washington is up 13 points on the Columbus Blue Jackets for that. Uh, second and final playoff spot but a team you gotta watch out for are the Vegas Golden Knights they have been making a ton of moves obviously the big trade earlier in the year 
uh, for Jack Eichel. But if you look at that last playoff spot, it's currently Vegas currently has it, but you have Vegas, Dallas, Vancouver, Winnipeg, and Anaheim all within three, three points of that last playoff spot. Now, I don't think anyone's going to catch Colorado in the Western Conference. I mean, they've got 91. They're the top team in the NHL. They're 12 points ahead of the next closest team in the conference. But I think Vegas is going to be a team to really watch out for because we know they make some splashy moves. They've been doing it for years and years and years. And uh, we'll, we'll just see what happens in the trade deadline to see who's a buyer and who's a seller. And then finally, you can't follow through on March Madness without the women's tournament. Obviously, we meant, went through the men's. We're not going to do a full preview of the women, but just really briefly, South Carolina, Louisville, the defending champs in Stanford, and NC State are the number one seeds. And I think one of those four are going to win the championship. But watch out for UConn. Even though they're a number two seed and they've been the first, this is the first time they've been a number two in so many years. They're getting better and better with Paige Beckers. I mean, seeing her back onto the court helps makes the case for UConn, you know, getting out of that region and getting themselves back into the final four. So I wouldn't sleep on them, but if you had to ask me, I think South Carolina is the favorite in the women's tournament uh, in this March Madness. I think just watching them play the way they're uh, able to just control the pace in the half court, uh, the shooting, the ability down low, I think they have it all. I like the Gamecocks to be the women's champion in uh, their version of March Madness. But it'll be great to see the tournament. I mean, they have just as many upsets and buzzer beaters uh, as the men do. So I think having them both on at the same time is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch because, you know, it's the month of March and throughout all sports, it's March Madness. And that is a wrap up on this week's edition of Quick Hits. time once again to look at all the teams in the city of Boston and checking on their progress. It's time for our let's get local segment of the week. And before we get into any on court or off the field analysts, I mentioned before, got to be able last Sunday to go to the garden and watch uh, the Celtics take on the Mavericks. And then afterwards, watch the Jersey retirement for Kevin Garnett. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. First off, the, the game was very, very exciting to see those two teams go back and forth, but we'll talk about the game shortly. The ceremony was absolutely incredible to see, you know, generations kind of in the same area. You got most of the 2008 squad were there. Obviously the big three was there and then combine that to see uh, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, the new gen, the new era, the new generation of Celtics players to see, you know, the last, you know, amazing Celtics team. I say, I say the last amazing because they're the last championship. But it was just incredible to see that number five on the rafters. Listen to Garnett, you know, speak from his heart. And then the moment he had with Ray Allen and Paul Pierce at center court, the way they hugged it out was just, it, it got me emotional a little bit. You know, I, I saw it live. I didn't have emotions. But then just going back, watching the replay, like that's just a feel-good moment right there. And to anyone who thought, you know, 
this um, rivalry and this beef was going to go on for so long, you know, just shut up, shut up. These guys love each other. And this was, you know, nearly 10 years ago that this blow up kind of happened. You know, you always got to remember the good times, always remember the good times. And it was just an incredible ceremony to watch, to listen to KG speak from the heart. And then to see the five get raised up, raised up to, uh, to the rafters. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. Um, but even, you know, I talked about the game, the game couldn't even damper that ceremony, but it just showed the, in the, in the game that the clutch, clutch time still needs some work. I mean, look, look at the offense, the way it was, you know, they didn't score a field goal in the last three minutes and 14 seconds, and they were held scoreless in the last two thirty-eight. So, I mean, you can't blame uh, the defense at all. I don't think it was the defense. That was the problem. It was just, it was a bad offensive uh, afternoon night, you know, it was a three thirty tip, um, but you can't blame them at all. I mean, the way that Luka Doncic was able to move the ball off of the double team, leaving Spencer Dinwiddie open, which by the way, what a week for Dinwiddie, as I mentioned uh, earlier, two game winning threes. He had the go ahead three against the Celtics with 11 seconds to go. And then he had the buzzer beater against his old team in Brooklyn. I mean, you, you can't fault him uh, for that one at all. Uh, but obviously the, the moment that everyone's talking was Marcus Smart throwing up a three and the initial call was a foul. Dallas challenges and, you know, they, they go to replay and they overturn it. And all of us in the garden, you know, <laughs> I was sitting next to a, a Mavs fan and he was even saying, yeah, it's a foul. It's a foul. And sure enough, it gets overturned. I mean, where's the consistency in, uh, in these kinds of replays? You you would think that with a, with a foul that close, it, it wouldn't have been overturned because there was no sufficient evidence. I thought that's what we were looking for in these kinds of replays and these kinds of challenges. So, you know, I, I still hold a grudge there, but even so, I'm not saying that's the legit reason why the Celtics lost, because honestly, you know, Marcus Smart is a good free throw shooter, not a great free throw shooter. So you couldn't bank on him, you know, making all three. His offense is better, but you know, I couldn't say, oh yeah, he gets fouled. He makes all three free throws and we tie the game. I couldn't say that at all, but you know, they did rebound nicely last night uh, against Golden State and everyone speaking of Marcus Smart, they're talking about his play that injured Steph Curry. Now, Steve Kerr took some exception to that, you know, saying, hey, that's dirty. You hurt him. Listen, that's a play on the ball. There was no intent to try and injure Stephen Curry. I know he's had a ton of foot and ankle and knee problems. You know, that's just a freak accident. There's no way Marcus Smart had the intention of going into Curry's knees and roll up his ankle and try and get him hurt. He was going for the ball. That's what he does every single time. He's a bulldog on the defensive end. You know he's going to dive on the floor for these kinds of plays. So I don't know why Steve Kerr is, is so upset about that. There was nothing dirty about it at all. And I'm assuming a lot of talking heads have been talking about it on my end. There's nothing dirty about that call. And it really showed just how mismatched the Warriors were, even with Curry on the floor with Thompson and Draymond Green, how mismatched they were in the particular game last night. Just the offense looked a little bit stalled out with uh, what the defense for the Celtics have been able to do. And then they just, it was a great shooting night to bounce back from a poor shooting afternoon 
in their previous game. You see Tatum and Brown knocking down threes, Rob Williams being effective down low. I, I do like the Celtics team. It's a good win against the Golden State Warriors. I'm not putting an asterisk on it, though, even though Curry was out because they had the lead even when he was out or when he was on the floor, I should say. And then when he went out, it kind of got blown up. But it just shows to me that Golden State is relying too much on uh, Stephen Curry and his kind of scoring. So that's what I see for that. What I see for the Celtics is they just got to find some consistency in the offense. You know, as a lot of people say, it's a make or miss league. You miss a lot of your shots, you're going to lose like you did against Dallas. You make most of your shots, you're going to win uh, games against uh, Golden State. But we got some big games coming up. You got Denver. You're in Denver. You're in Sacramento. And then I believe they are in uh, Utah. So some really important stretches of games. But I still, I still like what they're doing on the defensive end. I would just love to see the offense in clutch time get better you know I want to see against really good teams you know because Dallas is a really good team how do they do when the game is really close and uh, we're coming down to the wire that's what I want to see for the Celtics teams and maybe maybe they prove us wrong in the uh, next stretch of games because I think they're going to be a lot of close games especially if you're got to play defense against the Joker against uh, Donovan Mitchell you know it's going to be some tough stretches uh, for the Celtics team but We'll see if they can uh, rise to the occasion. But a team that hasn't been rising are the Bruins as they've dropped, you know, it was their first uh, regulation loss in a couple of games, I would say, probably about two weeks or so. They lose to the Minnesota Wild 4-2 to two and just not going to spend too much time on it, but it's just slow starts are really hurting this team. And I understand last night they're missing Patrice Bergeron. They're going to miss him again for another uh, game. I'm not a I, – totally forget uh, where they're going to go on the road trip, but it's slow starts, man. Slow starts are killing this team. I mean, to be down two nothing to the wild, I understand, you know, they, they came back and they tied it um, and they were virtually tied in that second period. Uh, And then uh, in the third period, the wild uh, took the lead and they had a chance six on five, but then the empty netter made it four to two. But I mean, just the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes is what's killing this Bruins team, because we know they have, you know, the firepower uh, on those first and second lines. You saw Craig Smith have a good game last night. You know, um, you saw uh, Pasternak and Marshan moving the goal around. Marshan had a goal in there. And then you saw Taylor Hall, Eric Halla. They were doing fine, but it's just a matter of doing it for the full 60 minutes. That's problem number one I see. Problem number two is the physicality. I mean, you look at, what the wild were able to do, you know, being really physical with the Bruins on the boards. And then, you know, little skirmishes afterwards, you know, Martian's always an instigator. Trent Frederick's always going to be the one to throw in the fights. But I really, I really want to see how this Bruins team responds to another uh, game where a team is going to be physical with them, because let's be honest, this Bruins team is not going to initiate any kind of uh, physicality or any kind of uh, rough rough and tumble play. I don't think they're going to do that unless they maybe get a bruiser uh, at the trade deadline and, and find someone for Jake Brusque. I don't, I don't see that happening with this Bruins team, and that's why they're just not there yet. They're good but not great. You know, they've, they've been playing well recently, but it's just little itty-bitty things that – will turn this team into championship contenders, you know, into real 
Stanley Cup contenders. It's slow starts and physicality because we know that the defense lacks in depth. We know that for sure. And there's no one player where you can say, we need you to establish uh, dominance in terms of getting a bunch of hits on the board. I don't see that. I don't see anyone on this uh, Bruins roster who can do that. So maybe they, maybe they pick up a piece at the trade deadline. I'm just really curious to see what they do with Jake DeBrusque. I talked about it for weeks. You know, if you're uh, playing well offensively, the way they are with him on the ice, it's hard to not see them get rid of him. Obviously there is sort of a mutual thing. Like you ask for a trade, we'll give you a trade, but you have to find the absolute ideal piece and you want to find like the right now piece. Cause if you're giving up a 25 year old, who's getting 15 minutes of ice time a game, you want to get something in return rather than just a bunch of picks. That's what you want to do. So I don't really know if this Bruins team, I mean, they've got plenty of time to correct it, um, but I just want to see what they do at the trade deadline. Cause they got to get beefier. They got to get beefier and bring some physicalities in these next set of games. Cause these teams that are playing, you know, they're going to eat them alive if they don't make any moves at all. But speaking of teams that aren't making any moves, let's talk about the Red Sox and the Patriots as their free agency returns and gets started. We'll start with the Red Sox first. And so far, what we've seen are very, very minimal. I mean, let's just keep in mind that they made a few moves before the lockout. They traded Hunter Renfro for uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. They got a couple of pitchers, Rich Hill, Michael Walker, just to name a few. But other than that, it's just been... It's, it's been really light. Just a lot of plug-and-play guys uh, is what High and Blue is doing. They're kind of taking the old bargain bin, I guess, you know, way of getting just short-term deals with uh, not a lot of money. We're seeing that with uh, Deakman and Strom in the bullpen. But the, the concern I have is the offense, is the lineup. Because let's face it, I mean, there were reports they wanted Freddie Freeman. They didn't get him. They wanted to keep Kyle Schwarber. They didn't get him. So if you're telling me that this lineup is going to replace Kyle Schwarber and Hunter Renfro with Bobby Dahlbeck and Jackie Bradley Jr., this team ain't going to do anything this season. Not at all. They're not even going to come close to the success that they had last year. I understand last year was kind of a, wow, look at what they're doing. You know, best team in the record, best team in the AL, and then getting themselves in the wild card and eventually going all the way to the ALCS. I don't see this team doing anything. I mean, you obviously got your great hitters in uh, Bogarts and uh, Verdugo and Devers and J.D. Martinez. But after that, come on, really? You expect Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bobby Dahlbeck to help out this lineup? Bradley can't even crack 200 if he – I'm trying to think of something. He couldn't crack 200 at all last year. I think he had like a 160-something average that even got him benched in Milwaukee. Now, maybe maybe they're holding out for Jaron Duran and Jeter Downs to come up from the minors and have a big year, but I think we're seeing Heim Bloom go back to what I think everyone expected was uh kind of a rebuild, you know, not necessarily tank, but like a a non-World Series contender. And really they should because they have the weapons to uh be able to go long distance. We saw it last year. And if they just get a couple pieces that are better, then they can be like legit contenders. But on, honestly, right now, I don't see them getting ahead of Toronto. I don't see them getting ahead of the Yankees right now. And I don't see them even getting ahead of Tampa. 
really. I know the division's tight, but you got to look at what that lineup is and then look at the rotation. I mean, along with the, the bullpen and the struggles they've had all year long, you've got your supposed ace, Chris Sale, missing the start of the season with a stress fracture in his rib injury. Now, I do like the rotation getting some depth. You know, obviously, Nate Evaldi is probably going to be your starter. But you lost Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, are you putting in, you know, you got to make a decision. Are you going to put Tanner Houck uh, in that in that category? Are you going to do it? Do you give some more starts for Rich Hill and Michael Waka? I don't know what it is, but I'm just not 100% sure what this team is going to look like once uh, opening day gets started. And spring training did get underway today. You know, this is their first game of spring training today. But I, I don't know what this team is doing until I see, like, what Alex Cora and Bloom are setting up for this team. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, do I trust Nate Barnes to go back into the closer position? Is Garrett Whitlock going to stick in the bullpen, or is he going to go to a starter because of this injury? I don't know. But right now, just looking at it on paper, I don't see this team getting back to where they once were uh, last year. I, I don't see it, you know. Maybe they contend for a wild card right now. I, I just don't, I don't see it until I see what happens. You know, I'm not giving a lot of hope to that Red Sox squad, but similar to the Red Sox, the Patriots have not been doing anything with their free agency. And this, it, it kind of frustrates me just a little bit. Cause I mean, some of the, some of the players I knew they were going to resign a couple of veterans like Matt Slater, uh, Nick Folk, Devin McCourty, Brian Hoare, James White, they were kind of like all a given you know, essentially, but some of the other moves, I mean, you trade, trade away Shaq Mason for cap space. You lose a bit, a good special teamer and a guy who filled in well for James White, Brandon Bolden, your fullback is gone in Jakob Johnson and you lose probably your top corner and possibly top defensive player, JC Jackson. And you replace him with Terrence Mitchell. Come on. What is this team doing now? Looking at the contract that uh, the Chargers gave Jackson, 82 and a half million years over five years, that's 16 and a half. You could have done 16 and a half, but I think the difference was the 40 million guaranteed. I think that was never going to happen, especially with this front offense and what Belichick is going for. But similar to what the Sox have been doing, you know, getting these sort of bargain bin free agents, that's exactly what the Patriots are doing. And this has been their style for many, many years. It's been Bill Belichick's style basically since he took over his front office role for the New England Patriots was just getting guys that team you know, teams looked past for looked past and signing them for minimum deals. That's what they did with Terrence Mitchell. I mean, come on, one year, $3 million for a guy who's probably going to be your number one or your number two cornerback unless something happens in the draft. What is Bill Belichick doing? And honestly, this is the year that you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. And you can't rely so much on the draft because look at what the AFC is doing. I mean, Buffalo got better. You know, the Dolphins got better. The Jets are getting better. That The whole AFC West is getting better. The Colts are getting better. Every team is getting better except for you. You're backtracking. You're not giving a weapon to Mac Jones. You're letting your defense, which was which got embarrassed in Buffalo is, is doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Come on. Like, I, I don't know what Bill Belichick has got planned 
going on. You know, maybe there's a big trade coming for a big time wide receiver, but I, I don't know if, I don't know if this team is going to be able to get back to where they once were, you know, similar to the Red Sox. They were, they were 10 and seven and they were number six in the wild card spot. You got to keep in mind, like how much better some of these teams are getting that AFC is getting tighter and tighter. You might be six now, but you could be at number 12 at the end of the year. You look at it. You look at teams that miss the playoffs that already got better. The chargers, the, uh, the Denver Broncos, uh, the Dolphins, even the Baltimore Ravens are going to get better. So I don't know what the strategy is for Bill Belichick. If he's going heavy in the draft and relying on all these prospects, I don't know if he's doing that, but I'm not sure if this Patriots team is going to duplicate that success with the kind of weapons they have. And the good news is that there's only, it's only been a few days since free agency started. I mean, it's already been madness. So maybe Belichick has a plan, but in terms of what they got now, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening, but you know, that's just the the reality of being a, a Boston fan is when you want success, sometimes failure comes. It's just a matter of dealing with it all. And lastly, as we always do to end our show, we look at our LOL moment of the week. Now, before we get into this week's moment, just want to keep everyone in mind that the LOL moment bracketology is officially live. Check out our page on Instagram at let me speak underscore official to go and vote and see who the ultimate LOL moment is. We just released region number one from the round of 64 today, region two He's going to be coming up tomorrow, and then we will release the rest of the matchups over the weekend. So keep that in mind. But this moment right here does not qualify. Maybe it qualifies for next year's, but it's definitely a moment that could have strong contention. So this week's LOL moment of the week goes to an unnamed bitter. Now we can't, you know, obviously everyone knows about Tom Brady. And that he came out from retirement. Well, what one person thought was going to be his true retirement, turns out it's just another waste of money. So an unnamed bidder uh, paid for Tom Brady's final touchdown ball. The last ball that he threw before he announced his retirement, which was a, a little deep pass to Mike Evans. The final ball was sold for $518,000 a day before he announced his return and his unretirement. And now, if you ask auction experts, it's only worth $50,000. So basically, you go from a treasured football paid over $500,000 to now just an NFL football that was thrown by Tom Brady. I mean, what terrible timing by this guy. Or, or girl, I don't know who it is. They, they've decided to go unnamed. But unless it only puts like a minor dent into whatever they're doing, what a waste of money. It's a total waste of money and just terrible timing. Now, I'm not a gambler. I'm not a gambler. I don't even, you know, I don't even buy scratch tickets. I don't even buy lottery tickets. 
if we're being completely honest. And this kind of just assures my stance that you just get moments like this and situations like this where things can change on a dime, essentially. You know, that's why, you know, I don't even spend like 10 bucks for a scratch ticket because even if you do win, you only get like a dollar or five bucks. So you're not even getting your return back. And I don't know if Tom Brady read about this story. Um, if he if he knew his ball went on tap for 500,000, over 500,000, maybe when he does throw his final ball, some bidders are going to be like, wait, I want to call Tom Brady first and make sure for certain that he is retiring because I don't think anyone's going to purchase anything that is Tom Brady's, you know, from recent memory. And, you know, if we see a situation like this, you know, maybe the final touchdown pass isn't going to be sold just yet. Some bidders are going to talk to each other and just be like, are are we sure? Is anyone going to do it? Either that, or maybe it's not going to be sold for $518,000. Now, I mean, the, I can't say it was uh, an unnamed bidder, like straight from an auctioneer, because this was at an auction. It got sold for, I think it was like 200,000 or something like that. And then it got sold for 500,000, over 500,000. So I can't say like it's specifically that, you know, auctioneer. It was just a bidder who bought it from another person. And now it's only worth $50,000. And good luck to that person to try and sell this one back because that timing was just absolutely horrible to see him now just wind up with an NFL football from Tom Brady rather than the last touchdown pass that Tom Brady ever threw. So to the unnamed bidder who just wasted a ton of money for an unforeseen circumstance of a football, you have earned yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that does it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. Make sure, as always, you follow our pages on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and as I mentioned for our LOL Moment Bracketology Instagram, all you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.